Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. your Bibles tonight, I want you to take them and open to the book of Luke chapter 15. This will be a very familiar passage of scripture. And for those of you that um, um, you were here just, what, maybe three weeks ago, you know how our Wednesday nights flow at times. And um, we have our, our first Wednesday encounter service that can kind of uh, toss us into a, uh, with a series we're doing. We don't follow right one, one Wednesday night to the next. But If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 15, Luke 15, and I'll be looking again at, it's, this is a parable, Um, but before I get into that, just a quick review, I started a series uh, some few Wednesday nights ago called Healing the Orphan Spirit, Healing the Orphan Spirit. Now, this is, uh, when you hear this, you may think to yourself, what is he referring to by an orphan spirit. Um, the The spirit of an orphan is not so much about an actual demonic spirit, although Satan was the first because he was kicked out of heaven. He said, we, we know the five I wills that it's listed in the book of Isaiah that he said, I will ascend above the throne of God. I will, I will. It was all pride. So he was kicked out of heaven. He no longer had a home and, and, and an orphan does not have a home. Uh, and and so he was kicked out of heaven, and uh, we see that uh, not just that, but as he began to afflict man and come against man, accuse man, um, he came against God's first children. And people think, man, I got to have all this thing together. Look at God's first two, right? If if you think, well, mine are dysfunctional, well, guess what? They were too. So uh, if you look at that, but but. Satan begins to tempt them. They give up their keys of authority because God said, let them have dominion in the earth. The heaven, even the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth is given to the sons of men is what the Psalm says. And we talked about that the first week and and it's not so much about uh, a, a demonic spirit as it is an attitude. So the orphan spirit isn't actually an orphan attitude. It's a mentality. I could equate it with the Egyptian mindset. The children of Israel, they're in Egypt for 450 years of bondage and slavery. And so when they come out, they're excited, but for a moment, and then they're crying to go back into bondage because they would rather be somewhere where they would be afflicted and be uh, oppressed, but have a little bit than actually follow God and uh, let him lead and feed and direct in God because he was taking them to a land of promise. So it's an Egyptian mindset, so to speak. If, if orphan spirit bothers you too much, it's just an attitude. 
And an attitude is something that cannot be cast out. It has to be transformed. And we understand Romans talks about this. In the book of Romans, the way that you deal with the mindset is you renew the mind by the word of God. That's the only way that you can know the will of God for your life. There's so many believers that sit in our churches that have no clue what they're calling. What am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. do you, let me just make it simple and foundational. What's your prayer life like? Do you pray? Do you communicate with God? Because you can't know if you don't. And prayer is not going into some uh, these, thous, and those, and yees that you can't even. It's actually just having the conversation with the Lord and releasing your heart to the Father because he's a father. That's who he is. He's a good father. But it's also pulling scripture, reading scripture, getting it inside of you. It's, I know it's, that's simplistic, but that's, that's what it is. You've got to develop some holy habits in your life. And you have to, that's a disciple. It's a disciplined learner. That's the first week I talked about that. Sorry, this thing's messing up. Here we go again. Check one, two. There we go. All right. So, so anyway, we see that, that the orphan spirit is an attitude, and it's, it has to be transformed. It has to be healed. And the only way to heal that is honestly connecting, encountering God, reading Scripture, and um, uh, a prayer, those things that have to be in place in your life. The foundational verse that I was uh, that I pulled was Romans chapter eight, and it's probably going to be on the side screens. But we'll just read this for just a moment. Um, but it's for all who are being led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Now, I love what um, the text says. Some some uh, translations say for those uh, who were led. That is a present participle verb. It's those who are being led. It's a continual thing. It's a, you never stop being led. Well, I got saved back in 68. I, I repented of my sins. I came to an altar or I shook the pastor's hand, whatever it is that people say. But yet they have no lifestyle that bears fruit that they are still following Jesus. They did it once and that was it. But in this thing, there is a continual, daily, perpetual walk with the Lord that identifies a son and identifies a daughter. Orphans, if you, if you know anything about orphans, many, there might have been some in the room. Um, but a person with an orphan spirit lives as if they don't have a home. Although they come into a church that's filled with believers, there is, they feel all alone. They feel, and orphans live with their, with their fists clenched. Because what they have, they don't want to lose, so they won't live like this. Sons and daughters live like this because they know where everything comes from. It comes from God, therefore, uh, they, the, it, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So they've learned to live and to trust. Orphans, it could be simple as this, orphans compete. If you have a spirit of competition in your life, I'm not talking about in sports where it is that you're supposed to. I'm talking about if you have a, an attitude that where everything that you do, you're trying to keep up with the, the Joneses down the road, or you're trying to find the best whatever it is and try to outdo somebody. There is a spirit of competition. There is an attitude that is an orphan because you're trying to outdo. I'm always trying to live above what I, my means, and that's, that's, that's not what God's called you to do. In the kingdom, there's always more than enough. In the kingdom, there's always more than enough. There's always enough staff members, churches. There's always enough volunteers, churches. If someone says, I need to get out, then they got to get out. That's okay. Bless you. It's all right. But there, God will always send you what you need. I promise you. Fix this, please. All right. So anyway, and, and tonight as I talk about finding home, understand something that home 
is the presence of God. I remember it's been uh, probably a couple of months ago that I was in here praying, and I was just praying into the whole focus of, of just uh, hosting the presence of God. You know, you've heard me talk about that a lot, is that God help us to become extravagant hosts for the presence of God, because when the presence of God manifests, we know that he's omnipresent. The psalmist said, when Psalms 139, he is, uh, I, can't get, I can't get away from you. Wherever I go, if I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there, right? He's omnipresent. He's all places at all times. But sometimes he's just not manifest, like he doesn't manifest. And sometimes when I'm praying, people say, well, what does that look like? Well, sometimes when you're praying, you begin to feel. There is a feeling. I'm not saying you rely always on your feelings, but I know some of you understand. I feel the presence of God. Maybe you listen to a worship song, and all of a sudden, joy begins to overwhelm you, begin to weep, and something begins to happen to you. It's maybe when you got saved the first time, or maybe when you got healed, you felt the presence of God. He, he manifested himself in that moment, and it's his presence. And guess what? The Lord spoke to me, and he said, AJ, my presence is home. When people say, I felt at home there, it spoke to me and said they felt the presence of God because home is security. Home is when a father is there and there's protection. There's a shield there. There's a refuge. There's a place where you can remove the mask and remove the, all of the stuff and the junk and you can find healing at home. And home is presence. And I love the Old Testament. It talks about uh, the face of God, which is interchangeable with the presence of God. His presence was his face. And that's what we seek. Seek my face. What is he saying? Seek my presence. Come after my presence because his presence transforms. So in your life, do you lack, you feel like you lack the place of nurture. Maybe it's you, you lack refuge and security, peace and comfort. If those things are what you feel like you lack, then maybe you do have some orphan tendencies. There is a, the heart of an orphan that's there. And it needs to be healed. So we want to see that God would heal it. Um, in Luke chapter 15, there's really so much happening here. And uh, I, I, want to, I want to get into what I can. And what I can't, we just add it on. But in Luke chapter 15, you're dealing with two sons. There's two sons here. Most of the time, we only hear the one, but there's two. You have an extravagant father that has a heart of compassion and love. You have a rebellious son. And then you have a religious son. Now, in America, the Western church, we have a lot of religious children because we in America are the ones that we tend to, not all, we tend to shoot our wounded. I'm going to be honest. Those that, not physically, okay, so, but those that, believers that are hurting, they're, they're struggling. I'm not talking about the ones that haven't reached out to get help. Um, um, but, or excuse me, I am talking about the ones, not the ones that don't want any help, but the ones that have at times. Maybe they've come to the altar for the 77th time and, and whatever, and they feel the condemnation. I'm talking about the religious older brother. When you read this story, and I'll, get, I'll dive into it the next, that'll be part three. We'll talk about that. But there's the rebellious or the religious son. And you see the love of an extravagant father. Just to give you a little tidbit, the older brother proves that you don't have to pack your bags and leave town in order to have an orphan spirit. You can have it right at home. Not see the love of your father. And you can just read the context of the scripture. And, and you can always be in your place, your, swor- your place of service. You can work hard and you can still have an orphan spirit in your heart. It's not a matter of location, but a matter of attitude. 
That's what this is dealing with. And here, let's just give you a little bit to, to jump into it. So verse 1, I'm going to read it. It's not going to be on the side screens, but uh, Luke 15, 1. Um, just uh, you, Luke chapter 9, all the way through 19, there are some scholars, uh, some of the ones that I was listening to, reading and looking at and researching, that say that Jesus is on a preaching, he, he's on a preaching tour. He's traveling and preaching from Luke 9 to Luke 19. He is just on a journey. And so we read this and we automatically, let me just ask you, when you think of Pharisee, what's the first thing you think of? Oh, they're all bad. For me, I do. I think, man, they're just all bad. Now, Nicodemus wasn't. A lot of these guys were followers of Jesus, but it was, it was all like, we're going to keep it on the down low. We're not telling anybody. Because I don't want to be guilty by association. When the stuff hits the fan, I'm not going to go to on the cross with, with Jesus, right? So they followed at a distance. But Jesus in Luke chapter 15, he's got this following, and he's traveling, and he's preaching. And uh, Eugene Peterson, I don't know how, you, but I was reading something on him, and he was talking about that Jesus was in the area of Samaria. Okay, wait a second. You understand who's in Samaria? We're talking about Samaritans first. They're with us. Samaria had, they were not, they were not a, a Jewish colony, all right? Jesus is not in his element amongst his people. And so in Luke 15, it says, now all the tax collectors, all the sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. Because there's something about when Jesus began to speak that he just drew them from all over the region. Because his words were what? Spirit and life. Life poured forth from his heart. Life poured forth from him. He was a submitted, a yielded son. He was the only begotten son that died to produce many in the earth. Right? We look to him. He's our elder brother. He's our representation of what we're supposed to be manifesting before people. We are to represent what we read in him. He is the epitome. He is Christianity. Not some form of it. We need to do all, right? And so he begins to teach. And then all of a sudden, get, look, look who's in this picture. They've been following him. And probably, honestly, they were believers, but they were closet believers, all right? Um, verse 2 says, and both Pharisees and the scribes began to complain. They weren't testing him. This is not one of the words that means they were testing him to see if they could catch him in something. No. They were complaining, saying, this man is receiving sinners. What is wrong with him? Right? And this is always the conversational topic with them. And so all of a sudden, Jesus says, all right, let me go into a parable. So it's not something that actually happened, but it's a story to teach. Because that's the way that rabbis would do. Jesus is a rabbi, and so he begins to teach through the parables. And we come to Luke 15, 11, And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. Now, let me break this verse down. I'm just going, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to teach it as I go. What that son is saying, the word there for wealth is the word bios. And the word bios means life, livelihood. So in other words, the son is saying, I have no use for you. I know it doesn't say it there, but that's what he's saying within the context of the words. I have no use of you. I don't want you to live anymore because you didn't give the inheritance until they, they were dead, right? Hopefully. But the father in his compassionate heart releases the wealth to the younger son. 
So understand the father, the son had no desire to have any relationship with the father anymore. Give me my wealth. Give me my inheritance. I don't want you to live anymore. Let me have it. I'm going to take it and I'm gone. I want, my, I want the livelihood. Verse 12, or excuse me, verse 13, it says, And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey to a distant country, and there he squandered it all. We know what that, I mean, just take for instance an example. He went to Vegas and he just partied hard. Prostitutes, all that he could do. He just had a great time, had a lot of friends, had a lot of uh, uh, relationships there for the sake of the, 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 as long as the money was there, he had a, he had a, great, a great following and a great, a great time. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. Reminder, he has left his home. He has left a Jewish community, and they, they, they give, and you've probably heard this before, there's a ceremony they perform called kazaza, and that simply means they take a, a, a glass bowl, they break it and say, all right, now that you're leaving, you're gone. You can't ever return and come back to our community. The day that you return back, you'll be killed. And that's, that's what they would, and, and that's what happened. So he could never return back. So he's in a different country. He's not amongst his people, okay? He's not among his traditions. And it says that, uh, that, that when the, he went and he found someone that hired him out to one of the citizens. Now, this word hired is really better translated that he joined himself to. He joins himself among a people that are not his own. He's Jewish. He's kosher. Now, look what he's mixing and mingling with because when you get to that state, an orphan will open their life to all sorts and types of things. Even though you may be saved, there's a lot of compromise. There's always looking, there's always a lifestyle of compromise, and you have to be careful because there's a lot of wounds. And wounds, there's rejection, there's fear, there's anxiety, there's all of these things. Now, listen, nobody's got it completely figured out. We're in a process called sanctification, right? We haven't fully arrived, and God will always be showing you, hey, let's work on this because you're not, you haven't been, you haven't been perfected yet, right? So he joined himself or he joined covenantally through a covenant to, a, to another land, out to the citizens of that country, they were Gentiles, and he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. All right, he's Jewish. Reminder, Jews don't associate with this. The sun is in a low place, and it says that he longed to fill his belly with the carapods that the pigs were eating. Even just that, I mean, how bad, how far do you have to get to? There's so many people that, I'm just going to say for believers, because there's a lot of areas in their life where there's a lot of wounds, there's a lot of hurts, there's a lot of, they, they don't trust. Maybe it was because there was an abuse from a father. It doesn't have to be a father. It could be a, a friend, some type of relationship. But because of those things, there is a broken trust towards anybody. And let me just say this. If you, when you pray, father is a term of endearment. I taught this the first week, but I'm going to bear and repeat it again. Father is a term of endearment. So when I pray, it's just not father. No. When I say father, in my heart, there is something emotionally that begins to happen. Because he's my father. It's not just I've heard somebody pray it, so I say it. No. I personally have to be able to through covenant connect with him in that regard because I understand that 
my life is not my own. There is a grand designer. And, and I, I, I yield. I submit. I have experienced. I have tasted and seen that he's good. Regardless of what it looks like. And there has to be. When I say father, something emotionally happens. Because it's a term of endearment. But for an orphan that does not have that connection with God, the Father, it's a struggle. Maybe it's healing that needs to take place. What is healing that has to take place? It goes on to say in verse 17, it says, But when he came to his senses, he said, begin to speak to himself. Anybody's talked to themselves? How many of you answer yourself? <laughs> I answer myself. All right, so let's keep moving. It says that when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants or laborers have more than enough bread, but I'm dying from hunger, and I will set out and go to my father's house and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. So he set out and, and came to his father. But when he was a long way off, his father saw him. So that means that, that his father was watching. And it says that his father felt compassion for him, and he ran and embraced him and fell on him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So there is this repentance taking place. But all of a sudden, look what the father does. He says, quickly, run and grab the best robe. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Grab the best robe, put it on, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's eat and celebrate. There was a covenant sealed at the end of the restoration of the son. Now, what is this, how does this apply with an orphan attitude? An orphan can be sitting in a church house, the, the attitude of an orphan, but never have had that relational connection to the father. That's the only way that you're going to find healing. Those who are continually being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and the daughters of God. It is a continual, perpetual leading by Holy Spirit that leads you through and to people that help you walk into, or walk into healing to help those areas that will confront those areas that needs to be healed, that will confront those areas. Maybe it's through a prophetic word, a word of encouragement, something to that effect. But God will direct your steps and you'll find healing in that. Here in this story, this is, I look at it and I think about it in verse 12. Just looking when the prodigal son began to beg for his, his wealth. Here's what I want to say. So many times, and no, I'll just start it right here. Orphans always want the end result over the process that they need to go to to find the healing. They always want the end result. A lot of people, not just the orphan attitude, but in general, we always want the promise over the process. The orphan spirit will beg for their future before they're ready for it because you, want, you don't want to have to deal with anything. You don't want to have to process the things in your life that's happened. You don't want to walk through it. You don't want to have to uh, have those conversations that can be hard at times to find the healing. How many times have you begged for God to do something that you did not or you were not ready for? I love one of my favorite quotes um, of, a, of a revivalist that said, the worst thing that can happen to a person is for them to succeed before they're ready. I don't want it if it's going to cause me to fall. I don't want it if it's going to cause me to get off track. Um, 
I believe there's times where even in our attitude because we want, we want, we want, we always a constant cry for, well, I want this, I want this, whatever. And, and sometimes I believe there's times where God will give you these things because you're constantly asking and begging and pleading for, and he'll let you have it. And maybe at times there's something that comes prematurely. Do you understand that anything that comes premature needs life support to stay alive? Whatever is born of the flesh will require twice as much to stay alive. I don't want it if it's going to cause something. It's going to cause me to go off track. In verse 15, it says that, so he joined himself, as I was saying a while ago, he joined himself in a a covenant relationship with this, this this different crowd, this different people. And having... The wrong crowd around you instead of having a family that's more uh, supportive of what they desire to see you become in God. Here's the thing I would, I would encourage you to pray. First off, pray into sonship. That's, that's the Apostle Paul and talks about that specifically, especially in the book of Galatians. Uh, pray and ask the Lord to give you revelation of what it means to be a son or a daughter. God, teach me. Show me. Holy Spirit. Lead me to the understanding of what it means to be a son, what it means to be a daughter, and help me to join myself to people, to relationships, other sons and daughters. I'm not saying that I can't minister to people that's, that does not, uh, that maybe they have a different mentality, but what I'm saying is, is that it's important to make sure that you don't join yourself to the wrong crowd over the family that God's called you to be involved with. Having those around you, the faithful wounds of a friend that's willing to confront, willing to speak, willing to share, and it'll confront those tendencies in your life, the attitudes that don't line up with what it means to be a son or a daughter. That's something that's been so vital in my life. I have a spiritual father in my life, and um, we, we have conversations quite often, and he'll hear something in our conversation that doesn't seem to line up with what it means, and now he doesn't call it sonship, or he may not say that it's sonship, but he'll call it out and say, that doesn't sound like you. And as I sit back and I begin to think about it, I'm like, well, you know what, you're right. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being disciplined in that regard. Just, and we think discipline, it's not punishment, okay? Discipline adjusts the trajectory of your future. Punishment will make you run from your future. And it's hard to, punish, it's hard to discipline where there's no relationship. Selah, I'll leave that alone. Are you awake? Maybe. <laughs> Verse 17, it says that when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he was awakened by hunger. Hunger and desperation awakened the son to the point to where he understood, I'm living a life that my father would never allow me to live. I'm living the life of a slave. I'm living the life of lack. I'm living a life of where I'm disconnected and ousted, and I'm tired of living this lifestyle. So what does the son do? Awakened by hunger and desperation, he turns around and says, I'm going back to my father's house. And he even refers to him as father. It'll be short. AJ, if you would, or Patrick, whoever's playing. Verse 20. I love this. It says that he set out and came to his father. 
I was thinking this this morning as I was uh, reading over this story and thinking about, I told you the story a couple of weeks ago about when I was growing up and we had, there was an orphanage, a family that they had a, an orphanage that, that would come to our church, the church that I grew up in as, as a child. And I remember we had a, a basketball goal out back and one of these, one of these little boys, we were out there playing and, and uh, whenever they were telling him, hey, it's time to go, whatever, the little boy ran over and he grabbed the basketball. It wasn't his. He ran over and he grabbed the basketball and he squeezed it tight. And I, I could just remember looking on his face and seeing, this is mine. I'll not share it. This is mine. And I, I don't know, that just stuck with me. Knowing that, I, I don't know, I don't, don't know if, if he would be now close to my age. I don't know where he's at. But I, did, but I remember seeing the look on his face and knowing, man, he, why, why is he clenching that ball so tight? I don't understand. But it's because that he, he had a home there in that portion of Mississippi. But I don't know if he knew his parents I don't know if he really got to know his dad, whatever happened, but he, he was an orphan. And so maybe this thing didn't shake together the way that I really planned it to tonight, but let me just tell you a little bit of what I've understood as the orphan spirit and where God begins to heal. God will heal you one layer at a time. The orphan attitude, it's nasty. It'll take you down a journey where it disconnects you from relationships. It'll cause you to be so suspicious all the time instead of being discerning. Suspicion is the evil twin sister to discernment, and it's not from God. It'll cause you to always walk into a room and think people's got something to say about you. It's always, always living in fear and always living in lack. You always feel like you're being rejected. You always feel like you've never been accepted. But sonship, God's saying there's always room at my table whenever you decide to come home. And I can see this father in my mind's eye looking down this road at certain points during the day would walk out as all the workers are working. He would go and just look down the road and see Maybe my son is going to find his way back home. And as he looked down the road and he saw this figure that appeared to look like his son. Think about Elijah, my, my little eight-year-old. He can make me the he can make me so mad because he's me. I'm looking at myself at eight years old. <laughs> but I, we're, I'm affectionate with my son. I, I love him so much and and we do a lot together, especially here recently with sports as it's been picking, picking up. And there's times where I begin to pick at him because everybody aggravates everybody at my house except for my wife. She doesn't believe in that. But even the animals aggravate each other. And as there's times where I begin to, to, to pick at him and aggravate him. And, and I just I, I look at him and, and I'm thinking, man, I, I can't. There's nobody in this world that I love more my family I look at my family my wife and my children but I look at my son and I think man he's mine 
And then you think, how in the world could I ever? And, and as I was reading this story, I was thinking, well, how would I respond if my son comes to me and says, I want my livelihood and I want to leave. I'm done. First off, I'm probably going to pull my belt off and whip him, but that's besides the point. No, but, but I'm serious. I, I, I really, when I, I, I felt the Lord asked me this, how would you respond if your son came? How would you, would you give it? And would you watch for him to return? Jesus is telling the picture of how the father responds to those but as I think about my son, affectionate and love him, think to myself, man, how, how would I respond in this moment? Would I, would I respond with seeing him come back home? Would I respond with punishment or would I respond with compassion? How would I do that? If you know anything about uh, Jewish customs, because of the ceremony they performed and said, you can no longer return, the father runs in fear of those that would have saw him, would have seen him coming down this road. The father runs, and I'm going to tell it this way, and he falls on him, and he gives his workers and the community, that's whatever that little village, he gives them his back, and he falls on the son. Who gave their back for you? Jesus, God incarnate, allows himself to be strapped to a whipping post and gives his back. He falls on his son and affectionately begins to kiss him and shower his face. And then as the son tries, you can see some contrition. Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm returning. I no longer want to deal with this, this heart of an orphan. I'll just be a slave. Just let me be an orphan. and I'll just be an orphan in the field. And he says, no. He looks at him and he says, bring the best robe. You know where the best robe comes from? It comes from the father's closet. So if you have orphan tendencies and orphan attitude, but Lord, even in all of your rejection and all of your struggles and all of those things, you can bring it all. You can bring it all. Because the sun smelt like a pig pen, there's no doubt. He brings the best robe, which means it came from the Father's closet. He throws it on the sun, and that robe represents righteousness. Do you know what righteousness means? Not your own, right standing with God. So the son was restored in that moment in right standing with the family. So that meant whatever the ceremony that was performed has been cast out and he's been restored. He's no longer an orphan. He's no longer a wanderer, but he is part of our family. He is just as if he had never sinned. He has been justified. But he didn't stop there. He gave him a ring. By the way, the robe was a shield against the accusers. It's a robe because, again, for you... When God puts that robe of righteousness on your back and puts you in right standing with him, you're justified. You're justified. He who knew no sin became it so that I through him might become the righteousness of God. And righteousness is not something you grow in. It's imputed, which means it's given just like that. 
So it's a shield against the accusers. The next thing is he gave him the ring. And the ring signifies the family crest. As they would sign off and stamp that letter that would be sent out. The ring represents power and authority. It's, it's a ceiling of, of authority. And the third thing that he, he gave back to him was sandals. The peace and that represents peace and humility. No longer are you wandering off in fear of your life and concern and worry about all of it. He said, you're going to walk in peace and humility. And think about humility. What did Jesus do to his disciples' feet when they were in the upper room the night before he was betrayed? He washes his disciples' feet. A kiss to the face, the best robe, the signet ring, and the sandals on the feet ministered to the mind the body and the soul and the spirit of the prodigal son. The restoration process had to be holistic. It had to be spirit, soul, and body. It had to cover everything. And by doing so, the prodigal son received complete healing of his mind and his emotions. The orphan spirit was pulled out from the roots, never to grow back again. He had been fully restored. And that's the heart of what God wants to do. And so I want to pray over you tonight. Maybe you are in this room and you've been looking for home. First off, just understand home is the presence of God. He's everywhere. And so it's just turning your heart of affection towards him and understanding that he's... People say, well, God be with me. We, we've, we've, you've heard me say it. You, that's a prayer he can't answer because he's never left you. It's already done. So in your life, maybe you're someone that, that you have confessed and said, yeah, I'm saved, I've given my heart. But, but there's no, when you call on Father, there is no, there's, there's nothing that begins to take place in that moment. You just feel like, man, I don't know. And there's, maybe it's through fear. Maybe it's through uh, anxiety. Maybe it's through some things that's happened. You, there's a struggle with trusting God. Maybe, because when we do that at times, we struggle to trust. Maybe that's what it is. I just want to pray. If you will bow your heads for just a moment. Father, I pray over those right now that maybe they are saying, you know, I, I struggle in this area. This is something that personally, dealing with the attitude of an orphan. I've come out of Egypt, so to speak, but I've just got some stuff and I'm looking to be fully healed and restored. I want to walk in the righteousness of the Lord. I, I, I want the robe of righteousness right now on my back. I need the signet ring on my hand. I want to come home. I want to abide. I want to learn how to abide in the presence of the Lord. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal and restore, get into those deep places, the recesses of the heart where we have shut you out. Maybe it's through situations in the past, and I pray for healing to take place. Heal the heart, God. Heal the heart. Heal the heart. Heal the heart. Seventeen years ago, someone in this room suffered some serious devastation in a relationship that affected not only you, it affected children. It affected grandchildren. 
17 years ago. I'm not sure who it is that I'm speaking to, but I want to pray over you. I really feel this. Father, I pray for whoever this is. 17 years ago, utter devastation that affected relationships begin to splinter division a lot of things happened in that time grandchildren was involved and I pray God right now for that person that you would heal the broken heart heal that heart and restore draw them home the presence of God begin to just minister to you right now name of Jesus, I thank you, God, that you're healing. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.